Okay, we're going to be Jeremiah chapter 31. Got a lot to do in a short time to do it. I know I made it through half the chapter last time, and now we're at the juicy part. So we're going to uh, probably slow down even more, but I'm pretty sure I can make it. So we're going to talk about the revelation of the new covenant. And in order to understand that, we're going to back up a little bit, and we're going to take a look at what were the other covenants and what was the point? What was the purpose of those things and what is it that God's establishing for us in the new covenant? So the first thing we need to understand about the new covenant, we'll pick it up in verse 27, Jeremiah 31. He says, behold, the days are coming. So they weren't there yet at Jeremiah's time. Jeremiah is looking forward. We're going to see that's a common theme for the heroes of the scripture from Genesis all the way till we get to the Gospels. Looking forward, for behold, there is a day coming. He says, behold, there's a day coming, declares the Lord, when I will sow the house of Israel and the house of Judah with the seed of man and the seed of beast. He's once again going to pour out his blessing on a united nation. Now, for Israel at the time this is written, there's no united nation. Israel as an entity, ceased to exist 150 years earlier. They all went into slavery to Assyria. Then Assyria, over that 150 years, was conquered by Babylon. Who knows where they're at? They're slaves out there in the four corners of the earth. The Bible talks about it, right? They've been scattered. Judah's about to go into captivity to Babylon. They're going to spend 70 years in captivity in Babylon they're going to come out, sort of united, sort of not. I mean, all 12 tribes are, are representative in both groups. But the, the joining together of the houses is something that we see yet future. That's something that, that Messiah accomplishes. Didn't happen in 1948. So I know I got a lot of unpopular opinions about 1948 and Israel coming to be a nation. I believe God still has a purpose and a plan for Israel and all those things are pretty normal. But, but as far as the status quo, looking at uh, the nation of Israel being that sign in 1948, the Lord has to come in the next generation. That's not me. So, so we can discuss Matthew 24 or you can look online. Matthew 24 is on there and you can catch a listen and see where I'm at on it. But He's going to bring the houses together. He's going to bless them, both man and beast. They're going to, livestock's going to, going to, going to happen. They're going to have uh, wealth once again, like they had before. He's going to increase both sides. Over and over again, he's going to say this phrase, I'm going to restore to you your fortunes. Your fortunes. So he's going to, he's going to do this through the seed of man and the seed of beast, reestablishing Ultimately, the kingdom under a king, which we're still looking for, that we still see uh, coming in the future as Jesus returns to sit on the throne of David. He says, it shall come to pass that as I have watched over them to pluck up, break down, overthrow, destroy, and bring harm. So God's brought judgment, right? We've, we're, we've gone through... Well, almost 30 chapters of Jeremiah, there's been plenty of judgment, right? God, God is, he tears down, but that's not all he does. 
That's not the only thing he does. He says, so in the same way that I judged their sin, we'll talk about that, in the same way that I judged their sin, that I watched over them in this realm, I'm going to build them and plant them, declares the Lord. You never get one without the other. God never talks about the establishment of his kingdom without judgment. God will judge sin. That's one of the things that we'll see as we take a look at the covenants. One of the purposes in God delivering the covenants to, to the nation of Israel. So he says, and in those days they will no longer say, the fathers have eaten sour grapes and the children's teeth are set on edge. But everyone shall die for his own iniquity. Each man who eats sour grapes, his teeth will be set on edge. They had a saying at that time that basically, you know, we're just reaping that generation before us. It's not something new. I mean, really, if you look at our nation today, there are young people saying, well, this wouldn't be so screwed up if it wasn't for you old guys. You messed it up, and now we have to pay the, we have to pay the debt. Well, the Lord says, look, I don't, I'm not a big fan of this saying. I want you to know that every man who stands before the Lord is judged for his sin, not, not a previous generation. And the point is, if anywhere along the path, you guys read the book of Revelation, if anywhere along the path through God's judgment, the people stop and repent, what does God do? Ah, he relents. He relents. He responds to our repentance. So any generation has the opportunity to stop it. All they got to do is stop the rebellion, repent, Get on track with what the Lord's doing and watch God's blessing come. Now, this was something that several books of the Bible talk about, this, this saying. Ezekiel talks about it. Ezekiel 18.2. Ezekiel, who was in Babylon, he was a prophet in Babylon. Jeremiah was a prophet in Jerusalem. So you, at the same time, they are coexisting. Uh, Ezekiel would say this. What do you mean by repeating this proverb concerning the land of Israel? The fathers have eaten sour grapes and the children's teeth are set on edge. Again, it's the same idea. The generation is blaming the generation before. Now, were they guilty? Sure, they're guilty. Sure. But Jeremiah was talking to the people who were living in them houses right then. And he was calling them to repentance. Revelation, we're going to see uh, seven seals followed by seven trumpets followed by seven bulls. You know what it says in each one of those chapters? As that judgment is poured out, as God rains down his judgment on, on the nations, it says, and still they would not repent. So you can blame a generation before you. You can blame those who did whatever. But the reality is every generation has that call, right? Jesus Christ commands all men everywhere, repent and believe. This is, this is the message. In Deuteronomy 24, in Deuteronomy 24, verse 16, again, uh, Moses writes this, Fathers shall not be put to death because of their children, nor children put to death because of their fathers. Each one will be judged according to his own sin. So the problem is, if you remember, we, come, we, come, we move forward from the time of Jeremiah to John, and what does John say? John says that the Messiah came not to condemn the world. Why? Because the world's already condemned. We're already on the path of death. What did he come to do? He came to save. Now, 
All of this is going to have, hopefully this is going to, it'll get clearer as we look at the, God's teaching through the nations, through his covenants, through time. Hopefully we'll be able to see what it is that the Lord is trying to, to show the nation. Now he says in verse 31, behold the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and the house of Judah. Not like the covenant that I made with their fathers on the day when I took them by the hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt. My covenant which they broke. Now he specifically is pointing to the Mosaic covenant. When I brought them out of the land of Egypt. Okay, that's the Mosaic covenant. That's at Sinai. He's saying not like that covenant. This covenant, he says, well, let's back up. As I brought them out of the land of Egypt, my covenant they broke, though I was their husband, declares the Lord. For this is a covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, declares the Lord. I will put my law within them. I will write it on their hearts. I will be their God. They will be my people. And no longer shall each one teach his neighbor and each his brother, saying, Know the Lord. For they shall all know me, from the least of them to the greatest, declares the Lord. For I will forgive their iniquity, and I will remember their sin no more. So Jeremiah gets to this point that we call the new covenant. So there's a couple of things that we want to kind of wrap our minds around when we come to this idea. When you think about the Bible divided by Old Testament and New Testament, that word is the same as covenant. You could say old covenant, new covenant. When God gave the original covenant, scriptures followed. When Jesus establishes the new covenant, Scriptures follow. New Testament, Old Testament, New Covenant, Old Covenant. This was not something that just appears. People randomly decide we need a new word from the Lord. No, this was all part of what God was doing from Genesis all the way through. And I want us to be able to see this through the contrast of the Old and New Covenant. So we're going to back all the way up. And we're going to take a bird's eye view of the Old Testament through the covenants. Now there are four covenants specifically mentioned. The word covenant is mentioned. And I'm gonna broaden that a little bit, but the extra covenants I'm gonna talk about are included in, in the first of the four. Uh, so as we look at it, the beginning of the story, God's revelation of himself to mankind begins with the creation of man. Man in the garden. And as we look at this journey, what we're going to see in the first 11 chapters of Genesis, you're going to see man declare his independence from God. You're going to see man corrupted. And you're going to see man rebelling. From chapter 1 to 11, that whole section of Genesis is totally focused on the fall of man. You can say the fall of man's just in chapter three, but there's more falling. He's fallen in three, six, 11. He just keeps this tumbling going. He's not gonna stop in Genesis. He's gonna fall in Exodus. He's gonna fall in first, second Samuel. He's gonna fall through the kings. He's gonna fall back in the judges. Man has one thing that he does really well. That's why when Jude writes his 
final word in Jude, he says, now unto him who is able to keep you from falling. Also important thing to understand. Because it's not we who will keep ourselves from falling. But it's something that God is doing. So the first covenant we'll look at is the, what we call the Edenic. The Edenic covenant. God has created man. There's man in the garden. God created the world. He planted a garden. He put man in the garden. And we find ourselves in this place where man is declared to have dominion under God. Yeah, I'll be, your, I'll be your guide. So you have dominion. Take this garden that you have here in Eden and turn the world to the garden. So man begins his journey. Now that first covenant ends with the declaration of man's independence. You remember the story of the tree of good and evil, Right? And God had said, you can eat freely of any tree in the garden, but not that tree. And when man chose to eat of the tree, of the knowledge of good and evil, he declared his independence. I don't need you, God, to guide me. I don't need to be under, my dominion doesn't need to be under your dominion. I can have my own. Now, maybe he didn't intend all of that, but that nonetheless is what was said. I have declared my independence, and the result was sin and death. Immediately, still in chapter three of Genesis, you move into the second of the covenants we're looking at, and that is a covenant I would call the covenant of grace. Bet you didn't think that was gonna happen in Genesis. Yeah, the covenant of grace. You know, when God redeemed and covered Adam and Eve, when he taught them about sacrifice. You remember, right? He made for them skins of an animal. Last time I checked, animals don't give those up willingly. You, you have to kill them to get those skins, no? You have the concept of covering and the first promise, we call the proto-evangelicum, the first promise of the gospel. Genesis 3.15, I will put enmity between you and the woman, the serpent and the woman, and between your offspring and her offspring, he, the seed of the woman, will crush your head. You will bruise his heel. The first mention of the ultimate redemption of man, when man was but two. It's going to get more complicated, right? Because... As God sent Adam out of the garden, as he sent his angels as guards before the garden, he also told them to go forth, be fruitful, and multiply, right? What's the next thing that the Bible tells us? The next thing that the Bible tells us as they leave that place, we get to Genesis chapter 6, and we run headlong into the corruption of man. The corruption of man. It doesn't, doesn't really matter what you do in that text uh, we can argue about it anytime you want to, but, but the sons of God know the daughters of men. And throughout the Old Testament, that's synonymous with angels. Somehow, angels were involved in the corruption of man. The book of Enoch, though not scripture, talks about the reality that angels began to teach men things that they didn't know previously. 
Those were the mighty men of yore, the, the, the mighty men of the ancient days, the Nephilim from that time. And the Lord looked at it all and said, I have repented. I'm sorry I made man. Sorry I made man. His thoughts are only what? Evil continuously. Evil continuously. This is his heart. So we enter into the third covenant. The Noah. The no, it's hard to say. No, no, Noahic. Thank you. Noahic. It doesn't, it's not, it doesn't flow. Noahic. No hate. The Noahic covenant. We enter into the Noahic covenant. Here's the point of the, the, you know, that one. So, so first, okay, in Eden, God is showing man, I want you to have dominion under me, right? I've made this place for you. I want you to have dominion under me. Man declares his independence from God. God shows him about sacrifice, grace, God's covering over Adam. As man grows, he only becomes more and more wicked. In the covenant with Noah, God judges sin. He absolutely judges sin, right? You have a global flood, the destruction of all the mankind that there was at that time. They're all destroyed in a flood. And after the flood, here's the promise God made with Noah. I will never again destroy all mankind with a flood. What was the point of the first three? I want you, man, to stand in dominion over the earth under me, under God's rulership. Man declares his independence. God teaches him about grace and judgment for sin. First three covenants. This is what the Lord has laid out for him. In 2 Peter chapter 2, verse 4, it says, For if God did not spare the angels when they sinned, but cast them into hell and committed them to chains of gloomy darkness to be kept until judgment. If he did not spare the ancient world, but preserved Noah, a herald of righteousness, and seven others, when he brought a flood upon the world of the ungodly. Peter, looking back at it, he's establishing exactly what we're talking about. This is God's revelation of himself to man from the beginning. I want you with me, Man declares, I don't want to be with you. God provides grace and explains to him about judgment. Okay? Grace, judgment. We move immediately toward the end of the result of the, the, the uh, covenant with Noah is continued rebellion. Chapter 11, we, we meet a guy named Nimrod. You know that story of Babel? You have the Tower of Babel. You have Nimrod, a mighty hunter against the Lord. All of mankind has one focus, right? They're all gathered together under one leader. Well, wait a minute. That sounds familiar. It kind of sounds like how the whole story ends, no? All of mankind gathered under one leader, and his goal is to get the people to build a ziggurat, a tower, uh, something up into the heavens to declare himself to be God. What? Doesn't Daniel talk about something like that? Didn't Paul talk about it in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2? This is not something that man has not done in his history. 
Deuteronomy 32 tells us then God takes his hands off of the nations. The end of the the covenant with Noah, God takes his hands off of the nations and he goes to a man in Ur of the Chaldees, in the area of Babylon. And he goes up to him and he reveals himself in some way to Abram. And he says, Abram, I want you to go to a land that I will show you. And Abram says, okay. And you enter into the Abrahamic covenant. The Abrahamic covenant, God now says, there's three things that God promises to Abraham. He promises him a land. Let's call it a home that Abraham never received. He lived in tents his whole life. And the writer of Hebrews, in Hebrews 11, verse 8, says, By faith, Abraham obeyed when he was called to go out to a place that he was to receive as an inheritance, and he went out not knowing where he was going. By faith, he went to live in the land of promise, like a foreign land, living in tents with, J- with Isaac and Jacob, heirs with him of the same promise. For he was looking forward to what? The city that has foundations. A tent is not that. He was looking for a home. Where's my home? Whose designer and builder is God. So the first part of the promise to Abraham, I'm gonna take you home. I'm gonna give you a home, the land. Two, I'm gonna give you a family. How many children did Abraham have? At the time, he didn't have any, right? So he's childless. And he's 75 years old. Just in case you're thinking you're too old for God to use you. 75 years old, and God gives them the promise of a nation. How am I going to have a nation? I don't even have a kid. I don't even have a child. But God gives him that promise. You will have a family, and that family is going to become a nation. And that nation, here's, here's the important part, that nation is going to become a blessing for all the nations. Remember all those nations that he separated from and called to Abram, one family. I'm going to focus on one family, and I'm going to take this one family, and from this family, I'm going to give them a blessing. I'm going to give them a family, a blessing, and that blessing is going to touch the whole world. So God is going to still reach all those nations. Now, everybody always has questions uh, when we talk about these things, well, what about all those nations in the meantime? So this is what I always say. God was still working in those nations. You say, how? Well, I, say, I don't know. I have no idea how God was doing it. But I can tell you this. Abraham's going to go out and rescue his, his nephew Lot. And when he comes back, he's going to pass by this town that he ain't never been in. And we have no scripture that tells us anybody was ever there preaching anything. And a fellow's going to walk out of that city, Salem, and he's going to, his name is Melchizedek. You heard of him? His name means king of righteousness. He was the king of peace, Salem. 
the probably where Jerusalem is now, most of that is speculation when we come to it. He was a priest of who? The most high God. Where'd he come from? I don't know. He just shows up. Later on, Hebrews is going to tell us that Jesus Christ is a high priest after the order of Melchizedek. We can get derailed, so I'm not going to. So I'll let that go. You also have Moses. He's on the backside of the desert. You remember? Runs into a pretty girl back there on the backside of the desert thinking God can't use him no more. Whose father, Jethro, was what? Priest of what? The most high God. Where would that come from? I don't know. Scripture doesn't tell us. Scripture is not given to us to tell us everything God did on earth. Scripture is given to us to give us God's purpose and plan for salvation for mankind. How we can have a new covenant relationship with God. So the Abrahamic covenant enters in. Abraham believes God. It's accounted unto him as righteousness. Abraham grows. His family grows. But God says to Abraham, one day your family's going to go be slaves. They're going to be slaves for how long? 400 years, right? So Abraham, 70 go into Egypt of Abraham's family, right? Uh, Jacob and the boys, 70 go into Egypt. And who knows how many come out. A nation comes out. A family goes in. A nation comes out. Just like God promised. He delivers the children of Israel from Egypt. He takes them to Mount Sinai where he reveals the Mosaic Covenant. Right? God reveals the Mosaic Covenant. Again, there were three things involved in the Mosaic Covenant. The law. The sacrifices. And the choice. I set before you blessing and cursing, life and death. Choose life. Deuteronomy, the Lord through Moses lays this out. And so the people following the law of God do epically well and they become a shining light for the Gentile nations. Is that how that goes? Oh, no, that's not how that goes. So we end Moses and we go to the time of Judges where man did whatever was right in his own eyes, right? And man did whatever was right in his own eyes. You have the time of Judges, horrific history of stumble, fall, stumble, fall, rebellion, corruption, independence, declaration of I don't need you, God. All of this is not new. None of this is new. This is the history of men, then you come upon the time, a period of time when the nation of Israel says, hey, we want a king like everybody else. So God gives them David. And when he gives them David, he makes a Davidic covenant. And he says to David, I'm going to give you an everlasting dynasty. Through you, David, I'm going to bring the only perfect ruler. David dies. Solomon dies. All the kings fail and the children of Israel end up in the exile. 
And as they end up in this time, before they go to the exile, Jeremiah comes to them and says, listen, I'm making a new covenant. The days are coming when there will be a new covenant with the house of Israel and the house of Judah, not like the old. What's going to be different? The promise of the new covenant is regeneration. Regeneration is the promise of the new covenant. God will change the heart of man. Did Ezekiel talk about that? Yeah, he said God's gonna take your hard heart and give you a heart of flesh. He will soften your heart. God will do this work. God will accomplish this thing within you. Look, it's not gonna be like the old covenant. God's plan of redemption is perfected in the new covenant. The old covenant they broke. What was needed for man, from this history of man, we look at all these covenants, what do they all have in common? We broke them all. The kings weren't faithful, people didn't keep the law, we couldn't measure up. But those covenants remained. Those covenants remained. And then there came a point, there came a, a moment in time when the seed of the woman was born and he kept them. He kept the Mosaic covenant. He fulfilled the Davidic covenant. He fulfilled the list of covenants. He unites what had been broken by man forever in the past. That's why the Bible calls him the second Adam. What the first Adam broke, the second Adam repairs. He makes a way where there was no way. He fulfills the purpose. So what is in inherently grafted in, what is a part of what's going on with that new covenant? You have a regathered Israel, reunited, north and south, right? There's a day when Israel's gonna be united. Scripture is replete with verses that talk about God gathering his elect from the four corners of the earth. Wherever they are, he's gonna bring them all back. He's gonna bring them back to the land, a regathered Israel. The second part of the covenant is a cleansing and transformation of God's people. Because without transformation, you can't do it. The history of man from Genesis to today is that man falls. It is Christ who gives us the ability to stand now unto him who is able to keep you from falling and to present you blameless before the Father with exceeding joy to present you without blame before the Father. The second part is the cleansing and transformation of the people, an inner transformation. His laws written on their hearts, a personal relationship with God. I will be your God, you individually. You will be my people. And an utter and absolute cleansing. This is the promise of Jeremiah in 31 of the new covenant. This is what the Lord writes in Hebrews 8, <clears throat> verse 6, talking about the Christ. But as it is, Christ has obtained a ministry that is much more excellent than the old, 
as the covenant he mediates is better, since it is enacted on better promises. The new covenant is enacted in better promises. Why? Because it is enacted on based on the power of God, not on the power of our will. So it is enacted on better promises. For if that first covenant had been faultless, there would have been no occasion for a second. For he finds fault with them when he says, behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord. This sounds familiar, right? This is Hebrews 8, quoting from Jeremiah 31. The days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will establish a new covenant with the house of Israel and the house of Judah, not like the covenant I made with them and their fathers on the day that I took them by the hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt. For they did not continue in my covenant, so I showed no concern for them, declares the Lord. For this is a covenant I will make with them, the house of Israel after those days, declares the Lord. I'll put my laws into their minds, write them on their hearts. I will be their God, they will be my people. And they shall not teach each one his neighbor and each his brother, saying, Know the Lord, for they shall all know me from the least to the greatest. For I will be merciful toward their iniquities, and I will remember their sin no more. In speaking of a new covenant, he makes the first one obsolete. And what is becoming obsolete and growing old is ready to vanish away. The second part, he's changing them. John chapter 3, Jesus said to Nicodemus, you must be born again. The regeneration of the new covenant. The third part of the new covenant is the messianic reign. And he will reign. I will write it on their hearts. They will be regenerated. I will take them out of this place where their relationship with me is just skin deep. And I'll bring them into a place where there's an inner transformation that takes over. And then I will rule and reign as a king. Man having dominion under God's dominion. God is king and we in the created order fulfilling our purpose beneath him on the earth for what God has purposed. Listen, in Matthew 26, 26, Jesus, the Lord of the Sabbath, reinstituted and defined the purpose of the Passover meal. Look what he said. Now as they were eating, Jesus took the bread and blessing it, he broke it, gave it to his disciples and said, take, eat. This is my body. And he took the cup and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them and said, drink all of you for this is my blood of the covenant which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sin." Jesus redefines the Passover meal and institutes the new covenant. The new covenant in my blood. The old covenant came with scriptures directing the obedience to the old covenant. The new covenant comes with scriptures replete with understanding how to follow him. How to follow Jesus. Now, you might say, yeah, but the new covenant says this is a covenant I make with Israel and Judah. How do we get in? Acts chapter 10. You ever read it? Peter's up on a roof dreaming about having something to eat. And every time he falls asleep, he dreams about bacon. 
And God says, and Peter wakes up and says, oh, Lord, I won't eat that. And what does God say? Do not call common what I have cleansed. Three times he has this dream of all types of unclean animals. And then suddenly at the door is a Gentile. Hey, the Lord told us to come to you and bid you come to our master Cornelius' house. And Peter says, oh, I don't know. I've never, I don't go to Gentiles' houses. But I just had this dream three times. Call not common what I have cleansed. So Peter says, I'll go. And he goes and he walks in and Cornelius says, okay, Peter, I, I, I had a dream. The, an angel told me to send for you and you tell me what I need to know. Go. So Peter starts to preach. It's the best kind of preaching ever because the people are saved in the middle of his sermon without an altar call, without him praying or the laying on of hands, without them reciting a prayer or going through a catechism. Cornelius is filled with the Holy Spirit. They speak with tongues as the, ch as the church did in the second chapter of Acts. And Peter says, who can deny what has just occurred? Salvation has come to the goyim. The same covenant that was extended to Israel and Judah is now with the goyim. Goyim is translated the nations. Remember those nations that were released once upon a time so that God could focus his attention in one nation that he would pull out of the nations that would become a light? Even though they failed, even though they messed up, even though they screwed up, God brought Messiah. Messiah came, died, rose again, and grafted together into one family all the nations of the earth. Under what? New covenant promised by Jeremiah in Jeremiah chapter 31. I will forgive their iniquity and their sin I will remember no more. Now Jeremiah goes on in verse 35 to say, Thus says the Lord, who gives the sun for light by day and the fixed order of the moon and the stars for light by night, who stirs up the sea so that its waves roar. The Lord of hosts is his name. Uh, by the way, just for those who might care, that's uh, Yahweh Sabaoth, the God of the angel armies. If this fixed order departs from before me, declares the Lord, then shall the offspring of Israel cease from being a nation forever. Well, sometimes people say, God's done with Israel. Well, here's what God said. As soon as the sun isn't light for day and the moon and the stars aren't light for night, I'll break my promise to Israel. This morning, when I got up, it was still there. And tonight, eventually, the sun will go down, like 10 o'clock, and we'll see the moon and the stars. The Lord declares the offspring of Israel, only if that ends, only if the fixed order of the universe ends, declares the Lord, then is my offspring of Israel cease to be a nation before me. Thus says the Lord, if the, if the heavens above can be measured, the foundations of the earth explored, I will cast off the offspring of Israel 
for all that they have done. Have they failed? Yeah. Have they failed worse than us? No. It is the common condition of man. Man is broken. Man is lost. Man is condemned. Man needs to be born again. The covenants teach us all the things that God is expressing to mankind, leading us to salvation under the new covenant by faith in Christ. He regenerates me. He changes me from the inside out. That is how we come to salvation. Now, the Lord says here, my promise is not going away, nor my promise to Israel. I'm still going to keep it, even though they're messed up. That gives me hope. That means he'll keep his promise to me. He's a God who keeps his promises. He doesn't throw away people with the trash. He'll judge them. He will drive them toward repentance. And they ultimately will get to choose. Repent and turn. Rebel. And be judged. They have that opportunity, the power of God laid out. I will keep my promise. It is settled by God. Settled by God and secured by the Lord. Look at verse 38. Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when the city will be rebuilt for the Lord from the tower of Hananel to the corner gate. The measuring line will go out further, straight to the hill Garib, and it will turn to Goa. And the whole valley of the dead bodies and the ashes and the fields as far as the brook Kidron to the corner of the horse gate toward the east shall be sacred to the Lord. Do you know what all that means? All that means that he's talking about the land. He's talking about the place. He's not talking about a spiritual Israel here. He's talking about the reality of Israel. He's anchoring it to their to their own understanding in their day. When the people would be in chains going out to, to slavery and they would think our lives are over and it's all done and God says, no, it ain't. You guys are gonna come back and there will be a day when the nation here is the place where all the kings of the world will gather for worship. Look, the fulfillment of those promises that God gave to Abraham, that God laid out, that we look at throughout Scripture, those promises we will see in a new heaven, in a new earth. When the king will reign eternally, and then no more will a kingdom rise and fall. No more will you have two good presidents and a bad one, or two bad presidents and a good one, or riots in the street or war, or pestilence, or famine. No, the Lord is saying, look, there will be a day, and it's going to happen in, a, in this place. There will come a day when never again will this city be torn down. The history of Jerusalem, the city of peace, has been destroyed 118 times so far, and counting. But God says there will be a day when it won't come down anymore. Once upon a time, we could say, 
in the history of Jackie, there was never a day, not a moment, not the possibility when he wouldn't stumble and fall and mess up and rebel against God and do, do heinous things to mankind. And there's nothing, nothing anybody can do about it. Counselors told my wife, get away from him. He will never change. He will always be the wretch you see before you. But God's in the business under the new covenant of transforming us. Not by the power of our will, positive thinking, or whatever other things we might do to try to improve ourselves, which will only end in failure somewhere down the line. God will change us from the inside out. He will bring us into a state of forgiveness before God. It will be his eternal joy to throw his arm around you, bring you before God the Father, and declare you righteous before our great God and Savior. It will be his joy to do that. It's only done through God. Just like the city one day is never going to crumble, one day I won't crumble anymore either. Now I might crumble tomorrow or two days from now. But there will be a day the crumbling won't happen anymore. That is the promise of the new covenant. Amen? Won't you stand with me? Let's pray. Father God, we thank you for this time that we can come before you, Lord. We thank you for the truth of your word, God. I pray, Lord, that uh, we're able to just drill down and understand, comprehend the purpose and plans of God throughout the Old Covenant, the Old Testament, and into the New. That we may recognize and see the fingerprints of God on the history of mankind. And we may recognize and understand the fingerprints of God on our own history. For he is able to abundantly pardon. He is able to write his law on our heart. to open our eyes to him. Lord, it is our prayer, God, that you would move in this place, equip us, even as the covenants all show you reaching out, being a light to those in, in areas around each covenant and being a light to those around the circumstances that were taking place. And then you call us as a church to be salt and light. To who? The nations. Show them what I can do. Show them the transformation of the heart. The change of a life. God, may we come to comprehend and understand with all the saints what is the height, breadth, width, and depth of the love of God expressed to us through Christ Jesus our Lord. And may you be glorified as we shine as lights in a dark world. May we give you the praise, the glory, as you, Lord Jesus, 
are our hope. You are our Savior. You are everything that we need. So, Lord God, we cast our cares upon you, our hope toward you. You are everything. May we come to comprehend it all as we seek your face in all we do. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.